Welcome to the Art of Being a Mum podcast, where I, Alison Newman, a singer, songwriter and Aussie mum of two, enjoys honest and inspiring conversations with artists and creators about the joys and issues they've encountered while trying to be a mum and continue to create. You'll hear themes like the mental juggle, changes in identity, how their work's been influenced by motherhood, mum guilt, cultural norms, and we also stray into territory such as the patriarchy, feminism, and capitalism. You can find links to my guests and topics we discuss in the show notes, along with a link to the music played, how to get in touch, and a link to join our supportive and lively community on Instagram. I'll always put a trigger warning if we discuss sensitive topics on the podcast, but if at any time you're concerned about your mental health, I urge you to talk to those around you, reach out to health professionals or seek out resources online. I've compiled a list of international resources which can be accessed on the podcast landing page, alisonnewman.net slash podcast. The Art of Being a Mum would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land and water which this podcast is recorded on as being the Boendick people in the Berrin region. I'm working on land that was never ceded. Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, to celebrate Father's Day in the US and other countries around the world, I'm thrilled to welcome well-known Irish-Australian singer Damien Leith to the show. Damien is a multi-talented artist that has made his mark in Australia as a singer and songwriter, a producer, author, playwright and TV and radio host. And he's also the dad of three children. Damien grew up in Ireland surrounded by music, but didn't seriously get into singing until he was 17. He started a family band with his brother and two sisters and toured around Ireland. In 2003, after meeting his soon-to-be wife Eileen, he set out on the first leg of a round-the-world trip and arrived in Australia, and he has never left. This talented family man first captured the attention and affections of Australians when he contested the 2006 edition of Australian Idol, a series that he went on to win. Since then, his career has skyrocketed, but he's remained charming, grounded and modest, securing him a place as a popular and well-loved Australian personality. Over the past 17 years, Damien has enjoyed platinum-selling albums and won many prestigious awards, including Arias, a Golden Guitar, Songwriter of the Year and many more. His music has been chosen to appear in commercials, movies and TV shows. Damien was also a celebrity contestant and finalist on the 2011 series of Dancing with the Stars. He also loves creative writing, publishing two novels, in 2007 and 2009. He also shares his expertise as a singer-songwriter and has created online courses to help artists improve their voice and songwriters to write, record and release their own music through the Damien Leith Academy. When Damien is not touring and performing, he spends his time in his studio where he's a highly sought-after songwriter and producer. Today's episode contains mentions of OCD, Throughout today's episode, you'll hear snippets of Damien's music, which is used with permission from my APRA AMCOS mini online licence. Thanks so much for tuning in. I appreciate your ongoing support. Due to changing work commitments, my nine to five, I'm unable to keep doing the podcast every week. 
So over the next few weeks, please enjoy some written articles, which will be released every Friday, and you can find them at my website, alisonnewman.net slash articles. so much for coming on Damien it's such a pleasure to meet you oh likewise absolute pleasure yeah it's really great to, to have you on I've been a really big fan of yours for a very long time so I'm starting oh, to go oh. silly now oh well that's nice there's <laughs> nothing wrong with that I've actually seen you perform at the Irish festival over in Croyd a few yeah. years ago I love yeah. that festival every time I, I've played there quite a few times now um I yeah. think I've done it maybe five times and I, I wow. love it it's got such a great vibe yeah. Such a lovely little town as well. So uh, yeah, yeah. All, always a real treat getting down there. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you got it on your plans to come back anytime soon? Um, I don't have it, uh, not for the next two years at least. Yeah, Because so, right. um, I, I observed, when was the last, was it last year? I think I might have, oh, last year or the year before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so we normally leave a little bit of a gap. So, uh, uh, but, but, uh, and it's also, it's, it's based around an invite as well. So you yeah. kind of wait to get an invite as well by the organizers, but uh, I'll definitely be back. I love it. It is just, it's a gorgeous vibe. Uh, and like I said, it, it feels like being back in Ireland. It's kind of a, a little Irish town. So there's something about that little town that, uh, that just works. I don't yeah. know why. It does. Yeah. It's funny. Cause the rest of the year, it's basically just this little town that exists and no one knows about it. And then for this one weekend of the year, it just explodes and it's just, yeah. it's awesome. We just love it. It's so much fun. And I did enjoy the version you played last time you were there of um, Black is the Colour that you sang oh, yeah. Yeah. with, I think it was a local girl that sang with you. Um, yeah. And that, that, that fiddle part in the middle, and then it changes, I don't know what the chords are, but it changes back from the fiddle part to the like, the regular verse and then there's yeah. one bit where it just changes and every time I hear it, I just get goosebumps it's like it just lifts and I know I can't describe it really but it's it's pretty pretty amazing so oh well no that's great that that part actually that was um that was originally played by Sharon Corr from the chorus oh so, you're kidding <laughs> yeah yeah which which was a, a an incredible experience I I recorded an Irish album and the whole idea was to try and make it as authentic as possible so I recorded it in Ireland and uh, and while we were there, we managed to get two major major guests. One was Sharon Core, and the other one was Sharon Shannon. And Sharon Shannon has, I think, she played Coroid as well. Uh, yeah, she's right. an incredible accordion player. But uh, yeah, but having Sharon Core on there was a real real treat. You know, I'd been a fan of the Cores when I was a kid. So uh, having a Core actually play and she sings on it as well. Oh, there you uh, go. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that's pretty very cool. very cool. Very cool. Yeah. She's a great violinist. Yeah, they're actually they're coming to Australia. Um soon i think um, that's right that's yeah. right so there you go everyone would know you from your days on Australian Idol um, but what 
did you do before then? Like when did you come to Australia and when did you get into singing? Was it always something that you did growing up in Ireland? Yeah, singing, singing was always a major part of my life uh, from the age of about 16, 17 onwards. Prior to that, the only thing I ever wanted to do was be an actor. I loved acting. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. For, for years and years. And I'd never sung a note until I was about, I think, I, I, I always say 17, but I think it was about 16. Uh, I auditioned for a school musical. That's that's really what got me into mu- music. Um, but music had always been in the family. My my mother is a great singer, and she her whole family are all singers. So th- there's a long, um, long history of singers in the family. And dad plays the guitar, so music was a major part of our lives growing up. Um, but from the age of about seventeen onwards, I became obsessed with music. I got mm-hmm. absolutely, you know, totally over the top about music. I I, I started learned how to play the the piano and the guitar and I started writing my own songs and, and I convinced the rest of my family to create a family band with me. So it was my two brothers, my sister and myself. Yeah. And, uh, and and we went from just this little band that played out in the, the back garden in the in the shed to a band that actually gigged all over Ireland. Yeah, uh, yeah we, we we absolutely loved it. So so I was doing that, but I also studied to become a chemist. So um mm-hmm. So in the end, I actually became a chemist. Uh, and uh, and prior to arriving in Australia, I was a full-time chemist. I worked as a, an industrial chemist. Yeah, I worked right. as a, yeah from nine, nine to five as a chemist and at the weekends as a musician. And, and it was great. Yeah, right. Um, just on that, what's what's the difference between a compounding chemist and, a, and an industrial chemist? Um, well, I, I, from what you actually study at uni, they... they they kind of start at the same path, but one definitely branches off. So I, uh, I would have gone more into the uh, to the actual lab style chemistry. Yeah, right. Uh, where uh, an actual compound chemist or somebody who actually run, runs a store or works in a store, mm-hmm. they will specialize in in knowing and understanding what medicine should be prescribed to a certain person and and, yeah, right. and all the different side effects and you know everything that that is required for someone to be able to actually deal with a patient mm, uh, yeah who, who might come in off the street where I was definitely more from the research side and I did yeah. loads of research I, re- I researched for years I did um I did all sorts of different drug research uh trials I, I did um uh, you know uh analysis on, on new drugs that were coming out so I did I did lots of that sort of stuff yeah right that sounds pretty interesting chemist work that brought you to Australia or your music that brought you out here it was love that brought me out of here it Aww. was it had nothing to do with the other two no nothing whatsoever my my wife is Australian mm-hmm. so I met her in Ireland and uh from the moment we met it was a uh, kind of a love at first sight we were married within three years oh, yeah it was uh you know uh, a whirlwind but uh, absolutely amazing so I met her in, in Ireland she was visiting her grandmother so her dad's Irish her mother's Tongan and she was obviously born in Australia so she was over there visiting her grandmother I happened to be working in the same place that she was working and uh, and one thing led to another and yeah three years later 
we were married and decided to go around the world on a honeymoon. Uh, so we had a round the world ticket. One of the stops happened to be in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And once we arrived in Sydney, we never left. Oh, there you go. So you've still got that rest of that holiday to go at some point. <laughs> no, <laughs> long since it expired, I think, unfortunately. Oh, that's funny. See the sun go down on Galway Bay Just to hear again the ripple of the trout stream The women in the meadows making hay Sit beside a turf fire in the cabin. 17 is sort of older to come into music, so I can sort of understand how you sort of described it as being like you really got into it all of a sudden. It's, it's almost like you were sort of cramming in like 17 years' worth of, of music catching up, you know, that sort of thing. Does that is that sort of how it felt, like you were just sucking in everything you could and sort of soaking it all up? Yeah, it was like that. It was also uh, it was such a new experience because once I got a taste for music, I, I really I found out that I enjoyed it in a major way. I mean, I love the feeling of singing. Uh, it was one of those sort of things. I used to go into the living room back home in Ireland. We lived in a in a little country town called Milltown, out out surrounded by farm fields. So there wasn't a whole bunch of houses all around around us where you know if I was singing at the top of my lungs, people would be giving out. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I just loved the feeling. I loved going into a room and I loved challenging myself to try and sing high notes or to try and uh, sing like Frank Sinatra or Nat King Cole. Interestingly, when I started singing, I, I did not sing uh, a lot of the songs that traditional pe- you know, traditionally people would start off singing. I, I didn't go through that, that whole, um, you know, going through scales and all that sort of stuff because I, I never had lessons. Yeah, or right. it was just CDs that I loved, and and like I said, Nacking Cole was probably one of my major uh, artists that I that I sung along to, which is very very strange because Nacking Cole is quite a low singer, uh, mm. and I ended up with quite a high range. But I just loved the emotion that the likes of Nacking Cole and and all the old crooners used to put into songs. I love that feeling of of being able to tell a story. Mm, yeah, and I guess that that sort of ties in with like the Irish heritage of like a lot of the songs that they are stories really in song form, aren't they? There's a lot lot like that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, all those old Irish stories, they're always stories about losing someone or uh, some sort of conflict or something that was really uh, that had a major impact on someone's life. And uh, and the only way you can sing those songs is by putting putting a lot of feeling into them. Mm. Uh, so I think for me, starting off. Being interested in all of that style of music really helped me out. Mm. On that, um, like I've been a singer for lost well, since I can remember, but I, it wasn't until I went to that Irish festival in Croydon and actually was around people singing, like the crowds of people singing, and realised how many, like, I don't want to get political or anything, but like the passion and the struggles that like people from Ireland had faced throughout the years, like, and it just, it was really overpowering at one point. I sort of found myself sort of, I don't know, in this moment where I just had this realisation of what it all meant, like it's not just a ditty and a little happy tune about whatever, like it's like the the real background in some of those songs is really quite powerful. Yeah, oh, they are, absolutely. And it's interesting about a lot of those old Irish songs, the, the message is very, very strong. They, mm. the, 
a lot of them were written um, inspired by actual events that really, really moved people that uh, influenced their entire lives. But those stories still still carry on even now, many years later. And even though they don't always link necessarily to the political side of stuff, the mm -hmm. sentiment is so strong that if you've got something in your own life that means a lot to you, like um, a, a real common thing for anyone living in Australia from Ireland is, is homesickness. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the the melody and the melancholy of a lot of those songs helps you sometimes with your homesickness. And there's something in the in the music that by singing it or by listening to it, you, I don't know, you get a kind of a, a, a way of dealing with missing home or being mm. homesick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hard to describe, but this, it, it, the songs are just so beautifully written that they, they allow you to express your emotions. Mm, yeah no I can I can understand that and yeah like um oh I can't remember what I was gonna say I was, there was one in particular I thought the first time I ever heard it sang around me um oh that one about the free birds fly what's that oh, yeah, the fields the fields fields right. yeah I didn't really I was like oh my god this is full-on like this is people you know as Australians and like most of us have never had to fight for our country or fight for our identity and yeah. I was like wow I, this is unreal. Like, and that my friend um, Helen, she's from Northern Ireland, so yeah, um, yeah, she's got a, a different perspective on it too. But yeah, interesting. I just wanted to mention that without you know going into things. No, um, no, I, I totally agree. My dad's from Belfast, so yeah, um, yeah, right, yeah. You know, so I travelled up and down uh, to Northern Ireland when I was a kid, and I saw different stages of the troubles mm -hmm. in, in Northern Ireland. And uh, I, I mean, Ireland really was uh, a, a country of war, mm. and it is something that. Sometimes when people refer to Ireland, they 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 kind of they make light of that, but it actually it mm -hmm. was a really serious situation, really, really, and truly was, and and affected yeah. so so many people. Mm, that's it, and I think from like I mean, I I tend to think of myself as a a worldly sort of person. Like I I listen to the news, I watch things, whatever. But until I'd met someone that was from there and understood it, I had no concept, no concept at all. You know, like you just, you just hear words like, you know, about Sinn Féin and things like that in the IRA, but you don't really get it. So yeah. Yep. Yeah. The mountain side, the summer's gone. So you said before you've never had singing lessons. So were you just self-taught like your falsetto and, and your range? You just worked that all out on your own? Yeah, I did. Um, it was, it's, I, the voice that I, I have, my the sound that I have is a very familiar sound in amongst my mum's family. So... Mm -hmm there's definitely a history there the the yeah. sound of the voice it, it's definitely traveled from through the generations there's no question about that mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. when I discovered that I could sing I was actually very blessed to 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 have a voice that already had a lot of the the things that I would need to actually perform uh now none of it was developed I still had to mm -hmm. sing and sing and sing and sing uh to try and get it to improve and to find my my own style and find my own way around it but uh, yeah, but you know, I I think with a voice, you're you're either born with a certain sound or you work on it. It's, it's one or the mm. other. Um, the voice can always be improved beyond that. But uh, but I was definitely in that category of someone who just had a voice to begin with. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I've I've had I can relate to that. Like I've had a lot of 
coaching later in life with my singing. And it sort of comes down to literally you've, what sort of voice box you've got, like the the length of your whatever those things are called in your in your throat and yeah. and how thick they are. You know, you can't you can't change your genetics, but you can definitely work with what you've got to to get the best out of it. Um, absolutely, that's for absolutely. sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Your your it's it's you know your your makeup is all about uh, the style of your voice, the tone of your voice comes from you know the space within your mouth, your your mm. throat, the the air that's passing up up through the uh, the larynx. So all of that comes into effect. So your genetics definitely come into into play with what you're going to end up having. Um, mm. But obviously you can improve it, and you can widen the range, and you can um, try and get resonance to sit in a different place in your mouth mm. and all that sort of stuff as well to improve it. But um, but you can be very fortunate just to be born with a certain sound. Yeah, that's something I've gotten really interested in the last few years um, is where you place the sound in your face, like where you can where you can get that different sound and pushing it out through your nose or, you know, I, I don't know, like when you've been singing for a long time, I think you start to sort of experiment a bit more and think how you can change your tone and I don't know. Yeah, I, I, fa- I found that really interesting that probably the last five years, um, getting a bit more into that. Well, interesting. Uh, last year, near the end of last year, I managed to get COVID, and oh. uh, and I got COVID while I still had loads of shows on. So oh, I had, no! I had tons of shows. I had to sing. I couldn't cancel the shows. Yeah, I couldn't cancel them for many reasons, but probably the main reason was COVID had arrived. You know, three years prior to that, and I lost so many shows, and I had to reschedule them so many, many times. Mm. So that when the adventure came about, I couldn't just cancel them again. I had to sing on it, so I did. I sang on them, uh, and while I was doing that, I also had a breakfast radio show. So I was getting up early in the morning. I was doing the radio show as well, and uh, by the end of last year, I actually I hurt my voice. Oh I, no! Yeah, genuinely hurt my voice, and I ended up attending an ENT. And the ENT, you know, examined my my throat and saw what the damage was. Thanks, thankfully, nothing long term, but enough damage that I was actually for the first time in my life in the last two months uh, instructed not to sing. Oh wow! Just complete rest. Complete rest, and and also to attend a um, a speech pathologist and a uh, a singing teacher. So for the yeah. first time ever, I've really had a long period of time of working with a singing teacher, and and I've been really looking into uh your voice and then where you place things and 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 it's extraordinary what your voice can actually do it really is an amazing instrument it, it can do things that you just wouldn't imagine that it can actually do and 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 it does it all from the inside so you you know it's not like a guitar where you can actually touch it and you can change the strings this is all controlled by air the whole thing all controlled by air it's an it's yeah. an amazing instrument yeah, it is. It's fascinating when you think of it like that. Um, did you get nodules? Is that what happened to you? Or no, I didn't. That, thankfully, oh, thankfully, I did. I, yeah, I, I was worried that I did. Yeah, because uh, I had to push so hard. I had so many shows mm-hmm. uh, all at that same time when I was sick. Thankfully, no, no long term damage at all. Oh, I just, that's really. Uh, basically, it was like I sprained my throat. That's, yeah. that's what it was like. So I just had to rest it, and it's it's back, and it's working really, really well. Oh, that's good. Thank goodness. Could you imagine, like, did you ever go through your mind, like, what if I can't get back to my, you know, my previous power? What will I do with myself? Like, was that no, going through your head? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. I was I was worried sick. Uh, and and like I said, thankfully, 
I went to the right people and the right people pointed me in the right direction. And, and mm. actually, as a result of it, I think I'm coming out of it as a better singer, which, mm. which is what I'm I'm loving the most. There's, there's things that I had been doing wrong because I didn't have the experience, the, the training. Mm-hmm. The, there was things that I was actually, I have always done wrong that now I've fixed for going forward. And I think it's already improving the sound of my voice and, and it's improving my range and what I can do with the voice, which is great. Mm. So a little bit of a silver lining to the COVID. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, dude. Oh, okay. I, I had COVID this time last year and I found it took a long time for my my power to come back. The, like, you know, just getting the air in, that that was the thing that took took a really long time. So it really messes with you. It's a horrible thing. Tell us a little bit about your family. I I read on the internet that you've got three children. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about them. Yeah, so uh, I'm married to Eileen. Uh, Eileen, as I said, I met in Ireland, and she's originally from Australia. So when we moved to Australia it was 20 years ago. We arrived in Australia. We were broke because we we were doing a round the world trip, mm-hmm. and we decided to get jobs. And I got straight into the chemistry, and Eileen got into the marketing, and uh, and within a short space of time Australia started to feel like home to us so uh, it was around that point that we got pregnant with uh, Jarvis Jarvis is our oldest he's 17 Uh, fast forward another couple of years along came Jagger who's 15 and then uh, along came little Kiki she's 11 and uh, and the 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 three proudest things that I've done in my lifetime (laughs) you know I I gotta be honest people always say oh what's the what's the best best memories or what what are the best moments in your life and for me it always revolves around uh eileen jarvis jagger and kiki the kids and, mm. and eileen that, that, that's really it they all of those those moments eclipse anything else you know there's there's nothing that really compares to to spending time with them and and with the kids watching them grow and become the people that uh they want to become it's it's an amazing experience it's challenging of course lots and lots yeah. of times but uh yeah. but it is great yeah, and yeah, now that they're getting older, like you said, they're they're developing and turning into, you know, their own real people. Um, it's a pretty exciting time. I've got a, a just turned fifteen year old and a seven year old, and yeah, this fifteen year old watching him trying to work out what to do with school and picking subjects and just thinking about the future. Now that's it's a whole new world, isn't it? It is, and it's a strange new world. I I think uh, I sound like a an old person here, but. <laughs> But back in my day, it seemed a lot simpler. Uh, it, yeah. it, it it's interesting. They have so much uh, at their disposal now with technology and with everything else. But it seems more complicated than ever because of all that. Mm-hmm. They're the exposure that they're dealing with, and you know, it 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 impacts on on a lot of their choices, and it impacts about their emotions and how they feel. Where back in our day, we didn't have all that at all. Mm-hmm. So you may do with what you had. Now I I find the new generation has everything and it's hard for them to make do with it because if, if they don't like it, they move on to something else. Uh, oh, yeah. That whole idea of not concentrating enough time on any particular thing. I, I actually think that's a real challenge for this generation coming through. 
Mm. Well, I'm an early childhood educator in my day job and um, we actually were talking about this exact subject at a training I went to on last week um, that they reckon that because of like the t- likes of TikTok and, and YouTube and Instagram where the algorithms um, will throw things at you to keep you on there. So you might watch a little bit of something and then it, it goes, oh, they're about to get off. So let's give them this. So our brains are changing and are only used to concentrating for really short amounts of time now because of what we're exposed to, which is really scary. <laughs> I think it's very scary. I think from a creative point of view, uh, it's, it's going to, I, I worry that it might impact the next generation coming through from a creative point of view. You know, the, that whole idea of sitting down and really concentrating and, and creating something that's, that's been taken away because technology is kind of setting in there. You've got AI now that can write stories for you. You've got, yeah, uh, yeah, you, they're exposed to so many different things that they don't actually have to sit down and, and really concentrate and come up with something themselves. They can actually, technology can do it for them. And while that's an amazing thing, and like I say, I sound like a, like a, like a (laughs) a mad day sort of person, but I I do worry about it. I I, I think on one level, it can be great. And on on the flip side, it can take away that whole creative side and creative sides are really what matter most to me. I love the creative world. I love seeing what people can come up with using their, their talents and their abilities. Mm. it's essentially taking away what it means to be a human isn't it it's like you can plug this thing into a computer and it will it will write a story or it will do a painting you know all this yeah it's just taking away what it really means to be a human I feel like it's it's horrible yeah I, I, what it may what may happen as a result of this is that the, the next generation of very creative people coming through will have to be even more rebellious than ever before because mm. they'll, they'll have to stand up in the past, the the creative person was was often quite quite often the re, the rebellious person, the person that went against society or the person who went against the norm. Mm. Now they've got an even bigger challenge. They're going against the norm uh, and they're going against simplicity because yeah. it's a, you know if if you have a feeling about something, you could always just go oh just chat type it into an AI and and it'll just write it for me. So. They, they really have to be strong-willed and they, ha- they have to make that really conscious decision that says, hey, you know what, I'm going to be an individual here entirely mm-hmm. uh, so that, that I create something that hasn't been created before. Uh, and I think that, that'll pose a lot of challenges. Mm, it's like we're, we're breeding a whole new range of rebels that are going to go against this next next lot yeah. of technology. You, yeah. They'll have to, to, to be uh, an individual. Mm. Uh, there, there's so much stopping them from doing it yeah yeah and things always go in cycles so that's the thing I always find like I'm hoping that this this AI and stuff will will sort of ease off because people will start to go hang on this isn't right and it'll you know hopefully go against it and take it down a notch but we can only hope time will tell but on the flip side I will say because I'm a a real uh that I do like technology as well (laughs) because I I record and I I have my own studio and and things like that. The things that you can do with technology are incredible. So it'll be, it'll be that idea of finding the right balance of knowing when to switch off and when to switch on.
I wanted to ask you about your other creative talents, that you've actually written some books as well. Um, when did you get into writing? Is that something you, you always did or is that a, a sort of a new thing you discovered? No, I always did it. I, uh, As a kid growing up, when I was very, very young, I I developed OCD, um, like real OCD. Um, yeah, as opposed to a lot of people all say, oh, I've got OCD because I, yeah. I need to have my house clean. This is more, this is the OCD that actually impacts your day, <laughs> your day-to-day yeah. activities. Yeah. Turning on and off light switches and all this crazy stuff. But uh, I developed that as a young age. And um, one of the mechanisms for dealing with it was to write, to take the thoughts that I had and put them into some sort of writing. So from a very young age, I used to write plays. I yeah. love I loved writing plays. And, and I wrote them in primary school and in secondary school. And, and that writing eventually moved into stories and then books. So actually, the first book that I got published... I had written before I even went on Australian Idol. That I wrote it while I was traveling in. Yeah. in there you go. <laughs> I, like, I love it. I love writing. It's it's one of my favorite things is to just get lost in in a story. Yeah. Um, and again, that's why I'm also passionate with with artistic things and doing that. It's great for the mind as well. Mm. So have you have you written anything like you talked about writing plays? Have you written anything that's been put on as a production? I went back years ago, again, when I was writing most of the plays, I had nearly all of them put on at different points, but it was also yeah. on an amateur level. The little amateur uh, drama societies, I'd ask them to put it on and to do table reads. And actually, I've had, a, like I said, I've had a few of them put on. Yeah. And uh, and I loved it. It was, it was just fantastic to see, see these things come into life. And it also gave me an opportunity to act in them. Mm, uh, yeah so you got well, to live out that dream as well <laughs> yeah exactly uh but i like, like i said i love writing plays and i started off with plays because i wasn't much of a reader i didn't like reading so i didn't have the the vocab to to really describe things so i started off with plays and then as time went on i got into reading and developed you know better language and better ways of describing things and uh, mm-hmm. and that led to to the books mm. and you write fiction work yeah, so both of the, the books that I've released so far are both fiction. One is a, a guy traveling through Nepal uh, at the backdrop of the Maust. Um, the, the poor unfortunate Nepal, We myself and my, my wife, Eileen, we traveled through Nepal during our honeymoon. Mm-hmm. And we saw how politically it was going through an awful tough time. And uh, and that was kind of the inspiration for the for the book and it was about a guy with OCD traveling in that sort of environment so it had little little elements of me in there as well yeah Uh, essentially it was a kind of psychological thriller yeah Uh, right and then the second book was uh again it was it had a psychological element to it but it was about a father and a son in growing up in the troubles of Ireland Mm -hmm. and uh the two of them how they they cope with grief and and loss and 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 also their own relationships so again it, it was more of a psychological story uh but but I love doing it. Give me a chance to write about Ireland and reminisce. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. You can sort of incorporate the two sort of fiction, non-fiction together. Um, do you have any, are you writing at the moment? Are you working on another book or anything? I, I actually, I have a book. I I, I wrote another book and mm-hmm. I, I'm signed to Walker Publishing. So this one is a kid's book. Oh, cool. Yeah. So we, the book is finished and we're now at the second stage of editing it. So hopefully it'll be out later this year or maybe the start of next year. Oh, fantastic. Um, are you allowed to share what it's about or is it a bit secretive at the moment? 
I can give a little idea. Now, it, it's yeah. it's more in the style of Roald Dahl, uh, and that's probably the audience. I, I, I've i always told bedtime stories to my kids, and I have I've yeah. hundreds of these. I've also recorded them, so I've, I've, I've still got them on my phone. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, yeah, but uh, along the way, there was one story I started to tell the kids, and it, it ended up being one of those continuation stories where you say, oh, you know, to find out what happens next, <laughs> be in your bed this time tomorrow night. That's yeah. not, and 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 I end up recording, you know, chapters of this whole thing, and I listened back to it about a year or so ago, and I went, oh, that's you know, that that could really lend itself to to a good story. So I sat down and started writing it, but ultimately it's about um, two sisters who get separated when when they're very very young. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're in the care of a horrible horrible lady who only wants to um, take them on board uh, as foster kids purely to use them to, to clean up her disgusting house and to, <laughs> to, to slave them around the place. Yeah. But in the midst of all that, uh, they get separated. And then it fast forward to many years later, and these, these kids have got to find each other. But the horrible lady's still out to get them and, mm-hmm. it, you know, follows that sort of path. Oh, that sounds exciting. Oh, good luck yeah. with that. I'll be looking for that when it comes out. That's fantastic. Worrying why, because that's what the older folks do. And I say, you can't always tell the beggar from the thief. But you know that I love that about you. Don't let this lie. Now, I wanted to ask you a bit more about your, yourself as a, as a father. Have you found with your songwriting since you had your kids that you've sort of changed how you write or what you write about? Is it they sort of inspire you a little bit? It always inspires me, yeah. For me, songwriting has always been linked to personal things in my life, so always personally driven and definitely once the kids came along, all the songs came, you know, all the songs that I started writing had some sort of, family influence uh, whether it be discovering that you know I uh, for instance I could like a couple of examples not just for the weekend was on one of my first albums that that song is purely about my son Jagger getting to take him home from hospital that's really what it's about yeah that that moment of knowing that hey you actually get to take him home from hospital a lot of other people couldn't uh, for different reasons premature babies and all all sorts of situations of why they couldn't bring their gorgeous little child home from hospital, but we did. And we got, got to experience a beautiful moment. So I wrote a song about that, mm. um, a song, beautiful. I wrote about my wife, Island. Um, there's a song that I, I've got coming out later on the year, uh, which is uh, first day of school. And that's all mm. about dropping my daughter to school for the first time. Uh, mm. And then my, my thoughts about, wow, I had to give her away to school on that day and I had to leave her. And then it fast forwards to actually giving her away on our wedding day. You, yeah. You know, so yeah. It all ties together. Yeah. yeah. And then there's another song called Song for Jarvis. It, like literally it, it states exactly who it's for. <laughs> yeah. Do the kids, do they know that you're writing about them? Like, do they feel that sort of connection that this is really cool that dad writes songs for us? Oh, well, I don't know, actually. I, uh, yeah, I've I've never overly told them that the songs are for them. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, they just hear the songs and the, they like them. It, it's funny they're all at that stage where they've got their own interests, their own what what they like and what they what they don't like. So I I never push music down their throats at all on any level. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. 
always there for them. And if they if they want to get involved or if they want to sing or if they want to hear something, I'm there for them. But there's definitely no never any pressure for them even to listen to my songs. To be yeah. honest. <laughs> Did are they? Do they play? Are they musical? Yeah, they're all really musical. Yeah, they're yeah. Uh, they're they love acting. They're all in musicals as well, uh, local musical societies. Uh, but they all play and they all sing as well. So it's it's great. It's oh, great seeing it. And it's great seeing that they just do it because they want to. Yeah. That's a big thing, I think. Like I, I grew up um, for 20 years, I sang in this vocal group and we got to this age, we all started having kids around the same time. And some of the girls were like really wanted their children to follow in their footsteps and and sing and whatever. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't think my kid would stand still long enough on stage to to sing. So I never put any pressure on him. And and even with his like playing music, like my husband and I both play, but I'd say, oh, do you want me to teach you anything or show you something? And I'd say, no, don't want to. And now all of a sudden at the age of, it was about 13 and a half, he, he decided he wanted to play the bagpipes. So oh, wow. and that definitely didn't come from us. It was like, That's cool. yeah. So I That's think great. it's, I think it's good just to let him go and see where they end up and yeah, even when you're really you're really passionate about music yourself, it's like you don't want to, you know, push them so much that they start to resent it because you're always on their back about playing something. So, yeah. Yeah, well, we're exactly the same. We're just, like I say, it's there. If they yeah. want to listen in something, if they just get a passion for something and they want to get lessons, we try to provide that for them. But it, it's really over to them. They, they have yeah. to show the interest. And what is gorgeous to see is that they have shown the interest. They've yeah. just gone that way anyway. Yeah, it is. It's, it's great because I was saying to someone the other day on the on a recording that you just want your kids to experience music because it's so awesome. Like you just you just want them to to see how amazing it is, and because you love it so much, it's like you want them to to experience all the wonderful things about it too. Um, yeah, well, that's how I sort of you, feel. Yeah, and what it can do for your life because music yeah. helps. Uh, I mean, you know, so many hospitals use now musical uh, music as a way of of helping people through all sorts of traumas and all sorts of treatments because music has that ability to raise spirits or, or uh, as we said earlier on with the Irish music, to mm. allow you to talk about things or get your emotions out. So yeah. music is such an important thing. And if anyone can discover it and discover a love for it, it can really help them in their life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I, I sort of I've said to my son, like, um, he's at the age now where everyone's, all his mates are getting jobs and he's not quite ready for that yet. Sort of, he hasn't sort of, he's still organizing his way through school. Yeah. He's not quite ready to add anything else to it. But I said like what you're doing with your sing, well, with your music, like he play, plays in the local pipe band. Um, it's like, you're learning all those skills about cooperation and compromise and you're listening to others and, you know, you can learn so much from playing music with other people. Yeah, absolutely. Being in a band or being in some sort of organization is a great thing, it really is. And you make great friends as well. So why not? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll take you home, not just for the weekend. We'll chase the days alive, welcome in the night, but one another side. I'll keep you warm, not just for this moment. Um, now, I want to mention, and it, hopefully I'm not going to go on about this too long, but I'm a massive Beatles fan, and I was very excited to talk to you about your show that you're doing, um, the songs of Lennon McCartney, Two of Us, yeah, with yeah. Darren Coggan. So who's your favourite, Lennon or McCartney? 
Oh, it's a controversial one, isn't it? I <laughs> funnily, funnily enough, when we do the show, so Darren and I, you know, we don't. It's like anything that I've done in the past. I, I never try to mimic anyone. Mm-hmm. I just try to pay homage to them. I just like them, and I just sing their songs. That's really yeah. what it is. Yeah. And funnily enough, when we do the show, I seem to do a lot more of the Lennon songs than I do the McCartney songs. Even though, if I'm being totally honest, McCartney is my favorite. Yeah. Is my favorite too. Um, and also your voice too. You you've got that higher voice, um, which is sort of like I would have thought you'd do more of those higher harmonies. I, um, I what that Paul does. I do, I do a lot of the when, when we perform together, Darren and I, I, I'll take on the Paul McCartney harmonies a lot of the time. But when yeah. we do the individual songs, I yeah. seem to always end up on the Lennon songs. So it's uh, <laughs> just a, just the way it lands. The way we do the show, we we play guitar, but I, I also play the piano. And I think, you know, Lennon has some beautiful piano songs. So I think that's why I kind of mm. land there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I, I don't know. I was listening to some stuff this morning because I've got, I like got them on my USB in the car. And um, it always blows my mind how they created so much and so, such diversity and such experimentation, but they were only active for 10 years together. You just think how... How can you do all of that as a band in 10 years? Like, it just blows my mind. It, it is. It's an amazing thing. But, you know, it's an interesting thing. You think of when you're in a band situation, uh, it's so insular. Mm. It, it's your own little world. And if, if the band work really well together, I think back about when we had our family band, my two brothers, my sister, and myself. Yeah. Uh, that was probably one of the most creative times I ever had was yeah. when I was in that band. I was writing nonstop, obviously not writing, not writing classics like the Beatles, but uh, <laughs> but the influence of being around people like that and being around, uh, you know, other musicians who want the same thing. So when, when you're driving each other to come up with great ideas, it's amazing how much actually happens. Mm. So yeah, bouncing off each other and bouncing yeah. off each other yeah. and maybe competing with each, each other. other. Yeah, 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 that's it. And and it's an amazing thing. But they were they were incredible. The Beatles. They oh. it wasn't even just what they created. It's what they created so young as well. It was uh, oh, yeah. their insight on life was amazing for people that were essentially just kids. Yeah, like honestly, I just think of them and I just I I can't fathom how they did what they did. And then to still go on. I mean, obviously, um, Lennon's no longer with us, but you know. Paul's still making music now. It's just, it's amazing. Um, yeah. But I wanted to ask you, do you have a favourite album? Oh, I was always the White Album. That's <laughs> yeah. where I always, and the reason being for the White Album, my brother Paul had a, a tape, a cassette of the White Album. Yeah. And in our little tour van, back when we were kids, gigging around Ireland, yeah. it was always stuck in there. So we, listened <laughs> it, it, we listened to it nonstop. It was just... So I kind of fell on that album purely because it was the only album we had in the car. <laughs> I just grew to love it, and I I, ended up, I knew every single song backwards and forwards. And yeah. um, but I do love all the other albums as well. They're all Sgt. Pepper's, the whole the Abbey Road, all of they're all amazing albums. Mm, yeah, I go for like White Album and Revolver are my top two. They're the two that I go back and forth between. Um, I love Revolver, but then they sort of there's some stuff I just think. I don't want to say they lose me on some stuff, but I just think, God, they must have been having a hell of a time when they recorded some of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, there is some random songs. There's no doubt yeah. that. They, <laughs> not everything was gold. No. <laughs> you know, they, oh, uh, they wrote a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some uh, of those early albums, um, I'm trying to think of. 
uh, I was going to say Rubber Soul, but maybe not that one. One of the the early albums where they were doing more of the pop songs. Uh, this this is all really only one, two or three really good songs in some of those albums. Yeah, uh, for for me anyway. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, yeah, like was it with the Beatles or um one of those? I can see the cover of it, but I can't think of what it is. But yeah, some of them you just think, oh no, I don't need to listen to this. And some of them sound so similar too. It's that typical like 12 bar blues like rock and roll sort of thing that's just I don't know yeah I guess was, they were st- they were still experimenting with this yeah experimenting <laughs> trying to find their way through yeah but ah, they were amazing we yeah. can't really criticize any of them they were they were also no, we can't can we yeah <laughs> god forbid like Allison sits here and criticizes the Beatles no we're not going to do that uh, no we're not going to do that oh. they, they knew what they were doing yeah they're pretty special So one of the topics I like to talk to all my mum guests on this show um, is topic of mum guilt, which we sort of say is like, you know, mums feel bad if they're not doing things for their kids or with their kids and it's difficult to take that step away and, and do something for yourself. And I've had dads that I've chatted with on the show. It's not the same sort of thing. It's it, I think because a mother is, you know, it's ingrained in your DNA, I guess, because you, you birth the children. But I wondered if you had any thoughts on, sort of yourself and I don't want to say dad guilt because I don't think it's a great term but do you ever sort of feel that pull between wanting to be home but you know you're you're doing what you love and in your career and and doing whatever is that something that goes on for you oh absolutely no 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 question um I I find every day is a balancing act like every single day so it's not even just being on the road touring or anything like that uh even on a day-to-day basis there's things that I would love to be doing or things that I think I should be doing, but there's a lot of uh, things that the kids need me to do as well. There's things that I I need to be there for them with. And it could be simple things. I'm saying simple things. It could be things like homework or it could be helping them with something. It could be just listening to them. Uh, uh, On the flip side, it could be, uh, you know, really spending quality time with them. And and you do, I think there's, there's a point that comes in as, as a parent where you, those sacrifices are necessary. You have to make them. They, it's necessary, but it's it's again trying to find the balance. It's trying to find some way that allows you to give them as much as you can possibly give them, but still be yourself and still stay intact in in who you are. Because if you start losing who you are in the process, then they're not getting the full benefits of of the parent that they could have that sounds a bit weird but that, that's just oh no it makes total sense because that's something that a lot of mums talk about you feel like you literally lose yourself because you've got to give so much to these other people those little these little people that can't do things for themselves and they need so much support and then your your identity literally sort of dissolves for a period of time so yeah no that makes perfect sense yeah and and sometimes your your sense of humor can disappear and things like mm-hmm. that and and you never want that to go away. As as a parent, we all fall into that role of a, it's our job to guide our kids and to discipline our kids and to be the responsible person for the kids. Um, but the kids also need that 
sense of humor that you have or that that childishness that you have yourself because we all still have that in us as well kids need that as well and kids love that and only by being ourselves do we expose the kids to those sort of sides of our personalities uh, and and you know and and that is that is where the balance has to be right you've got to try and find a way to always still be you be the person that you've always been uh, but also being the responsible parent at the same time mm. yeah it's just a constant juggle isn't it <laughs> yeah oh absolutely and it changes yeah. non-stop and yes, as, yes. As get older it's new problems and it's new things that you got to deal with uh, and it doesn't get any easier just <laughs> yeah it gets different that's it isn't it yeah with the that's what I'm finding with my two like with the the age gap I feel like I'm literally in two different worlds at one time just depending on which child I'm talking to it's just you know and I guess you'd be saying you know 11 and 17 there's a big big gap of life in there isn't there absolutely different different needs different uh different things happening in their life yeah. Kiki is still very much she's a just a, a young she's 11 you know, and, and a lot of the things that she'll talk to me about, even though she seems sometimes I think she's a 20 year old, but <laughs> yeah, but still, you know, she still has that youthful way about her where Jarvis on the flip side just got his driving license. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we've got that to contend with now. That's a whole new world that we're about to step into. Yeah. Oh, it is a new world, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I've already told my husband that I'm not having anything to do with teaching the boys how to drive. That could be his job because I just, I don't think I would cope very well. No, it is nerve wracking. Stressful. It, yeah. It is, you know, uh, anyway, I, I, I was so happy he got his license, but then on the flip side, uh, I was only talking about earlier on this morning, the worry set in. You start going, oh no, now they're driving on their own no parent around and, and and that becomes a whole other worry yeah uh, but anyway that's, yeah. that's the way it works yes i think you've just got to hope that you've you've instilled in them you know the best you can to yeah. take care of themselves and others and making those good decisions and yeah you can't you can't keep them locked up forever so no you can't i mean um, back in the old days at 17 they're out working and yeah. <laughs> sometimes they're leaving at home yeah, that's so true. Yeah, absolutely. If I were him, I'd know your birthday. Just what to get the colors you wear. We'd borrow bikes, we'd ride on Sundays. And you'd review the books I sell got some big shows coming up i uh, uh i'm doing orchestra shows so we've just done yeah we just uh we we've just done two we did one in melbourne last uh weekend and uh later on the year we're in sydney and in camera so it's a full orchestra 35 people on stage wow. uh, with me so it's a massive massive show yeah and uh so they're the big ones but i have, I have lots of other shows coming up and, and obviously the book and all the rest so there's a lot going on over the next while yeah uh, no, and hopefully people keep on coming to the shows and enjoying them. Oh, it's exciting. Now, good on you. Do you do Private William McBride? Do you mind if I sit here down by your graveside and rest for a while in the warm summer sun? I've been walking all day and I'm nearly done. See 
Thank you so much for coming on, Damien. It's been such a pleasure to chat to you and thank you for sharing all your your thoughts and and all the the ups and downs and ins and outs of of being a dad and being a creative. Yeah, thanks again. Not a problem. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Take care. Thanks, Damien. Bye. Thanks for your company today. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to consider leaving us a review following or subscribing to the podcast or even sharing it with a friend you think might be interested if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast please get in touch with us by the link in the show notes I know your blood